2: That is a harsh lesson in business.
1: Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names
2: together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey there, welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. Grant Wall here with Luis Miguel Ejigaray. How are you?
0: I'm good, brother. How are you?
2: I'm good. Uh, I'm on a stretch of five straight weekends of traveling. I was back home in Kansas City over the weekend, uh, which was good. Uh, Very long story short, we have an annual golf tournament. This was our 26th straight year, me and my high school buddies. Uh, We have a green jacket that goes to the winner of our golf uh, round, and I did not win it
0: again. (sighs) Those damn High school friends that just take over everything. I saw. I did see that you went to some good food places. Always
2: I did. I went to uh, Joe's, Kansas City. Um, terrific place uh, in a gas station. Uh, I thought about doing a magazine story at one point on great food in gas stations across America because it actually sort of exists in certain places.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. My my weekend was uh, you know half work, half day off, which was nice. Nice. Uh, yeah. The wife and I also had a food. You know, tour exhibition, a little Greek food. It was good. And uh, obviously, Christian Polisic ruined my Saturday as well, once again, but it was fine.
2: <laughs> we got lots to talk about in this podcast. We're going to talk about Premier League starting off as always. Uh, Liverpool and City both getting come from behind winds as they look ahead to Sunday's showdown between Liverpool and City at Anfield. Uh, we're also going to talk about Christian Pulisic scoring again in another Chelsea win. Uh, we're going to talk about the MLS Cup Final. I'm headed to Seattle later this week for Seattle-Toronto Part 3. Three <laughs> out of four years in the MLS Cup Final.
0: This is going to be like Karate Kid 3. Hopefully you'll get a lot of action and a nice ending. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Hopefully we get a good game there. And then uh, we'll get into some other news. Nico uh, Kovac out at Bayern Munich after they got waxed 5-1 to one at his old team, Eintracht Frankfurt, who might replace him. We're going to talk a little bit about La Liga and the Bundesliga being far more bunched up at the top than anyone would have expected to start the season. Unfortunately, we're going to talk about more racist incidents in Italy um, involving two different games this time. Just shameful. It continues. Uh, we're going to touch on the U.S., Under-17 World Cup flame-out. More bad news for the U.S. men's national team. We'll get to some reader questions. But let's start with Liverpool and City, uh, which both were down this weekend to teams you would not have necessarily expected them to. And as an Aston Villa fan, lead me through your feelings uh, of... Uh, Villa 1, Liverpool 2. Sorry, yeah, man. No,
0: no, it's all good. I mean, this one was tough, but I'll be as objective as I can as well. Let's talk about Liverpool. Uh, they remind me, Grant, a lot of uh, Manchester United in the 90s right now, where they're just scraping away victories Um, often in the latter stages of a game, maybe not playing their best football, and they're doing it, you know, just grinding out. Perhaps this was in a situation that was going to happen last season, where, especially in the latter stages of the season, Liverpool, you know, struggled to get those victories against games where they should have won. This season is a little different, and that's why I think they remind me of that. This game in itself, listen, we have to remember a few things. Uh, Aston Villa you know, newly promoted, was in the championship for three seasons. It was early, it was as soon as January of this year where, you know, Villa lost to Wigan, right? And now it's going up against the defending Champions League, champion one of the best teams in Europe, right now the best team in England. And it was eight minutes away from... uh, really fantastic victory, and then came Liverpool and Sadio Mane, who is just once again proving our point. that something that we've talked about for a long time. You know, as as good as Mohamed Salah is, this is really a club that belongs right now offensively to Sadio Mane. He does it all. And this game in itself, you know, there was a VAR controversy, obviously, about the offside call, you know, the millimeters, you know, uh, where... Not a great weekend for VAR. No, it wasn't. We can talk about it in other matches about how how VR once again frustrated a lot of matches. Uh, But Villa really, really, I think, should have come away with something here. Uh, This is obviously, I think this is the eighth time where at halftime, Villa has either been drawing or leading. And in the last 20 minutes, it has just uh, given away a victory. Granted, it's been a bit against big games, against Tottenham in the opener, against Arsenal as well, and now Liverpool. I really think that it deserves something. This was a game without Jack Grealish too, by the way, a best player. But Liverpool came away, just like I said, like a Sir Alex Ferguson, Manchester United of the 90s. They came away with those three points. And Sadio Mane, who is just everywhere, put the exclamation point.
2: I am trying to figure out how the laws of physics allowed for the winning goal by Mane on the header because the angle of the way, he, the direction he was running and the angle of the shot and the guys it had to go through,
0: but also just how he turned his head, it didn't seem human. No, the instinct was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And aside from the goal itself, Grant, I mean, you know, we can talk all day about Sadio Mane, but... My goodness, everything that he does. You know, uh, we briefly touched on it about Pulisic, how he did against Watford, where he was like going left, going right, Right. center. Sadio Mane does it day in and day out. And he is such a dangerous player because you don't know what you're going to expect when Liverpool has the ball. And that's what happened. I will add one thing Villa was so close and going 2 0 in the 60th minute when. uh, Marvelous Nakamba, a player everybody needs to know, uh, our defensive midfielder from Zimbabwe, grabbed the ball, a beautiful ball to, um, I believe it was... Uh El Ghazi, who fed it to Trezeguet. Trezeguet was literally one-on-one with Alisson, passed it to Hurray, maybe he should have finished it. Alisson did great, proving yet again that he's one of the best goalkeepers in the world. And he stopped a very, very big chance. That could have been 2-0, and then after that, of course, came to the 2-1. But this was a really exciting game, you know, just going back at it, and, uh, you know, a, a solid victory where, you know, subjectively it was heartbreaking, but proving one again that, you know, Liverpool this season I know it's November, but this season is getting wins when after 90 minutes, it probably shouldn't have come away with three points, and it does. And that's the signs of a champion. A couple of points I would make here.
2: We've talked a little bit in the past about Fabinho and how good he is. And this was one of those times where you saw how good he is because he wasn't there mm. for Liverpool. Yeah. And they were saving him because they didn't want to have him uh, get suspended on cards for the Man City game. But. He's so freaking good right now and and a guy who you really need in that Liverpool lineup uh, if they want to be playing anywhere close to their best. Uh, The other thing is I absolutely love the cross field pass from fullback to fullback (laughs) that Liverpool does. And they do it more often than anybody in the game when Alexander Arnold and Robertson do that. And it's so cool to see when it happens, and it's dangerous, and teams don't totally know what to do with it.
0: Yeah, and it's a really good point, actually. We've been talking about Sadio Mane, but both played great, especially Trent Alexander-Arnold. He was incredible. And like you said, the delivery and going forward, that's why at the very beginning of the game, before it happened, I thought that Villa was going to go with a three-center-back lineup, because that was, from what we've seen before, is probably the closest how you can match up against Liverpool because you kind of annihilate a lot of that offensive threat from both uh, fullbacks. But, yes, Andy Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold delivering once again uh, a vital piece and a vital strategy for Liverpool. And that fullback-to-fullback fullback pass, in the modern game,
2: that is the modern game right there. Yeah. Because, it means to be able to do that, you have to be sending both your fullbacks forward as much as possible at the same time. And a lot of teams, what they do is if they're going to send one fullback forward they're going to have the other one sort of stay back and Liverpool just doesn't do
0: that yeah I have a really strong romantic connection to switching play I love it and when it's fullback to fullback (laughs) ooh baby
2: let's go to Man City which was playing a team Southampton that lost 9-0 at home quite recently did not fire its coach surprisingly and went up 1-0 on
0: City at the Etihad Incredible. Uh, And let's not forget that days before they had played in the Carabao Cup. Granted, different squads, uh, different strategies, different targets, but Southampton was leading, and Southampton was playing well. Southampton was doing the job. It was keeping a defensive shape. It was maintaining some kind of resiliency against, obviously, what we know Man City can bring, and they were so close. And again, just like we talk about Liverpool, the difference between a top two and a champion team against mediocre teams with all due respect is that you can just switch it on in 10 minutes or a five-minute frame and get that victory. And Angelino, by the way, a player that was at NYCFC, right, on loan from – he played really well delivering yeah. that left-hand, left-sided left cross for Carl Walker to punish Southampton. But again, Southampton was doing the job, and then all it takes is just a flash – and then Man City can take over. So, uh, yeah, two games where the top two teams in England delivered when it wasn't necessarily their best performances, but they just grinded it out.
2: Rare mistake from Aderson on the Southampton goal allowing the rebound. Uh, I would suggest, if you haven't already listened to it, you know, go to the end of this podcast with us. But after that, check out my interview from last week with Dan Altman about looking at the world's best goalkeepers from a data perspective because Ederson and Allison come up a lot, but Dan has some really interesting ways of looking at goalkeeper performance in so many different criteria, but a lot of it coming down to who's a better shot stopper, but then also who's a better goalkeeper as an outfield player since that's such a huge part of of the modern game.
0: Yeah, I remember when I was in college, my uh, goalkeeper used to always say, you know, the definition, the way that you define a good goalkeeper, sometimes it's not by the extravagance, but it's by the simplicity. Like right. if they do the the simple things correctly day in and day out, where it's almost robotic, and that's where you define it. And I think that's the just the tiny difference between Allison and Edison. Edison is a tremendous goalkeeper, but Allison is just that higher up because every simple thing, the fundamentals, he does it as if it's just blinking for him.
2: So let's look ahead a little bit here because this is a huge game coming up on Sunday. Huge. Uh, It's going to be 11.30 Eastern on Sunday. Liverpool, Manchester City. Uh, Liverpool in a position where they could go up 8 again in the league. Uh, City in a position where they could bring it down to 2 and and really close the gap. Um, Pep Guardiola, interesting quote after uh, the weekend's game, asked about Sadio Mane. And he said, this is Pep Guardiola, quote, sometimes he's diving, sometimes he has this talent to score incredible goals, and in the last minute, he's a talent. The first part didn't exactly go with the second part.
0: Yeah, I t- What's going on there? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I think it's a little dangerous to try and give any more motivation to Sadio Mane at Anfield against Manchester City. I think that Guardiola has to be very ca- I don't know if it was, uh, you know, because we are all very aware of the mental games that sometimes managers play. He was specifically talking about what happened against Villa where um, Sadio Mane had the ball inside the box, or at least they were contesting for it, and a stomp on his foot, albeit accidentally, uh, caused VAR to just recheck to see if it was a penalty. It said it wasn't. I, I'm in a position here where I think that I think it would have been a soft penalty, but there was a foul, but Sadio Mane did sell it a little bit, and I think that's an argument that we can have about other players, where VAR is probably causing a lot of offensive players to try and sell it even more if it gets to VAR. Having said all of that, Sadio Mane is right now Liverpool's best player, and to just you know, create a soundbite just by calling him a diver. I think it's a, it's a little bit generalistic from Pep Guardiola. He is so much more than that, and it's not like Sadio Mane does it day in and day out. It's very Mourinho, actually. Yeah, from, yeah, from which Pep. is a mental game in itself, right?
2: Yeah. Um, I just
0: think you have to be very careful. Like, what are you doing? Because Sadio Mane will probably score a hat-trick now this weekend. What do you see happening this weekend? I see Liverpool winning. Okay. Um, but I don't think it's a vital... I think it's important... In terms of momentum, in terms of confidence, for Manchester City to win, but I don't think it's a season ender okay. because we've had this conversation before in past seasons where it's a must-win. Manchester, yeah, of course, winning would be very good because you reduce the the lead up the top from Liverpool. But I think Man City losing is not a season ender. We all know too well what oh. happened last season. But I just I feel that Liverpool might just be too ready too motivated and they're better than last season. That's the key thing. Um but I see a Liverpool win and if Liverpool loses, I'm sorry Liverpool. Don't fans don't don't tweet at me. What do you what do you see happening?
2: I, I, I like Liverpool in this game. Um I don't think either team's actually been playing great, um, as we saw this weekend. But uh there's gonna be a ton of hype uh leading up to the game. They both play midweek in Champions League, but they're both in pretty good shape. Uh so you know, this is um you know th- the Premier League is is what it is, and and these are the two teams that have been the best teams in the league now for a couple of seasons, and um, and they seem much better than everyone else in the league. Uh, and when they play each other, like, look, I mean, I, I still think of the, the goal line clearance by John Stones last year that made such
0: a huge difference in the race in the end. Huge, huge. And I think a key point to this weekend is something that we've been talking about with Man City, which is the center-back issue. Yeah. Now, they're about to deal with the one team that just punishes you right. if you make defensive mistakes. So whatever that back four is that Man City does, it'll be interesting. But I see a Liverpool win a close game once again, but I see a Liverpool win. By the way, I have a mild disagreement
2: with you. I think Fabinho is more important to Liverpool than Mane is.
0: Oh, wow. There you go. Great, Luis well, Miguel yes. disagree! Another one. That's like... This is amazing. That's like two already in the space of a month.
1: Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples.
2: Moving on to the Premier League. Let's talk Christian Pulisic here. Another goal, 4 in 2 Premier League games in two straight weekends. Chelsea wins again. Obviously they beat Watford, which is at the bottom uh 2 to 1 in the end. Fifth straight Premier League win for Chelsea, which In fourth place. I mean, they seem to sort of have it going pretty well right now, and and Christian Pulisic seems to have it going pretty well right now.
0: Yeah, let's not get it twisted. This is Watford hasn't won yet in the Premier League, so it's you know we have to take that into consideration. But yes, this is a Chelsea team that is clicking. That's doing well. I believe Christian Pulisic said at the end of the game he loves playing with these guys. The chemistry is awesome. And you can see it. They all enjoy each other. And I think there's a clear understanding that Jorginho Ball to Tammy Abraham was just art. When did Jorginho learn how to do that? I don't know, but it was beautiful. I bet you he didn't even know he had it in him. But it was absolutely stunning. Uh, aside from the goal itself, which for Polisic, which was just a tap in, but a nice run, a nice run, and a good cross from Tommy Abraham. Before that, uh, Polissyk himself nearly scored a yeah. tremendous header. Talking about Sadio Mane's yeah. directional, and it took a Ben Foster acrobatic uh, save to stop it. But Polisic once again was uh, everywhere, and you know playing really well, linking well with Tammy, Mason Mount. And like you said, this is a team that's doing well. It's in the top four situation. And, and you know, onwards, I want to see what they do against tougher up op, uh, opposition. Sure. They have Ajax coming to Stamford Bridge this week. Um, I can't remember right now who they play in the weekend, but um, obviously it's going to be better than, you know, bottom of the table Watford. But it's looking good for Frank Lampard's side.
2: Yeah, and I, and I don't think Christian Pulisic is going to get... Um relaxed now that he's on this run of form in fact i think he's just building on his performances week after week and uh that's exciting uh for for him for american soccer i'm curious to see if he can keep this going how that'll if we'll be able to notice that when he comes back into the u.s national team Uh, they've obviously got some important games or relatively important games coming up um he needs. I, I certainly hope, if you're a U.S. fan, that he can start playing like this for the U- U.S. national team because that hasn't happened much.
0: Yeah, and the U.S. needs a little bit more than Christian Pulisic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chelsea has Crystal Palace this weekend. The early kickoff.
2: Okay. Speaking of Palace, uh, lost this weekend at home to Leicester City, which is just. I'll say it, man. They are one of the most fun teams in Europe for me to watch right
0: now. Oh, say it from the mountaintops. We've been talking... Listen, my parting shot weeks ago, months ago, I believe, was about Leicester City because I saw something and I wasn't the only one where I'm thinking, this is Brendan Rodgers 3.0. This is... Talking about the Palace game, some of the movement that Leicester does Off the ball, with the ball, Telemans is just like... uh, He is great. I mean, Leicester has to do everything they can to hold on to him because he is going to be wanted. Amazing. Jamie Vardy already you know, in the top three conversation for top goal scorer. A key quote that I saw from Brendan Rodgers after this game was that... Jamie Vardy does something that not any other top striker in the Premier League does right now as a result of what they're doing, which is, you know, what Leicester's doing right now is not only are they attacking so well, but they're defending from the top. So as soon as they don't have the ball, Jamie Vardy's is the first player that's defending, pressuring, high press, chasing those balls. And as a result, you know, things have gone his way as well in terms of goals. And that the, the, it wasn't a goal against Crystal Palace, but there was one specific move that it was like a one-touch, and it was just fed off to uh, to Jamie Vardy, and, and he didn't score, but it was just a tremendous play, indicative of what Brendan Rodgers is doing right now at Leicester City. And like you said, they are, to me, one of the most, if not the most, fun team to watch. And I think this is a lesson that Brendan Rodgers has learned since his Liverpool days, where it, it it's, it's a more disciplined Brendan Rodgers. He went to Celtic, obviously did well there. But now back in the Premier League with a really fun squad. I mean, yeah. we've already talked about James Madison, but Tielemans and Jamie Vardy and all these players are doing so, so well. So,
2: you is my favorite central defender. Oh, man,
0: man they're just so good. Oh, okay. So, selling Harry Maguire was a blessing in disguise because they've been able to strengthen that squad. But so far, so good for a really fun Foxes team.
2: Yeah. Um, the second goal they had against Palace was maybe the best goal I saw all weekend just yeah, it was beautiful. you know the the interplay between Thielmans and Vardy and the give and go to Damari Gray and and um you know Jamie Jamie Vardy has like 10 goals now in the league it helps when you have nine uh, and get a hat trick against that How Hampshire, about I'm his guessing.
0: celebration? That was a little. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, seriously the Dude, Palace fans the um, eagle celebration woo probably not thrilled with that one but um you know and Palace actually hasn't had that bad of a season so no, I, mean, I mean like mean, this is a nice win for for Leicester, and I'm just curious to see if they can keep in the top four um, because right now they're, they're playing great soccer. Um, and what are you showing me here?
0: They're at home to Arsenal next weekend. Yeah. Oh wow. So um, and so Leicester c- is. Yeah. So we can briefly talk about Arsenal, which uh, has has Arsenal improved since Wenger's exit. No, the, I think actually,
2: MMA. like. Uh, Unai Emery's points per game is like exactly the same as Wenger's was for a long period of time at the end. I mean, That's all you need to say about (laughs) Arsenal (laughs) right
0: now. So I see a Leicester win here. I don't see why not. But it should be another good test for a team that's looking to once again return to the Champions League. And all credit because, you know, after winning the Premier League in such historic fashion, it obviously went through a major hangover. And you would think many people, especially Leicester fans, can we get back Right. To once again recuperating that sort of top four, top three mentality and right now
2: you can. I thought Rory Smith at the New York Times wrote a good piece about Leicester the other day and just how they've reloaded uh and, and really kept very few of the guys who were involved in that championship season, at least in the starting lineup. You got Schmeichel, you've got Vardy. Anyone else? I mean
0: Al Brighton is not, not a starting, starting you know, but I mean he's so, there,
2: but and, and so like they they've added well. Um, they've had a few coaches since then, <laughs> just a few. Yeah, <laughs> but um, you know they've put together a team that just is a lot of fun to watch, and I think Brendan Rogers pretty clearly a good hire, and they may lose him before too long. Yeah, you never know. Let's move on to the MLS Cup final. Um, Seattle hosting Toronto FC, sold out. In excess of 69,000 seats. They went very quickly in Seattle, and you're talking about, I think the market now is like $300 is the cheapest price for a ticket.
0: Do you think your parting
2: shot did it?
0: It might have. <laughs> it might have. Um, I mean, that was like a tourist board it promo was, for the city, which was awesome.
2: It was my ode to Seattle <laughs> culture on uh, our video, Parting Shots. Uh, so I expect
0: uh, the city of Seattle for you to give um, or CenturyLink 20% Venmo grant to... Uh, uh, you know, thanks to him, it's a nice full uh, stadium.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited to to go to a final in Seattle in which Seattle is actually playing because I've been right. there to one before in 2009 when it was Salt Lake, L.A., Galaxy. And, um, you know, it, I, I am so glad that MLS has gotten away from the neutral, fi- neutral site finals because the one the year after in 2010 in Toronto, Colorado, FC Dallas – Worst final I've ever been to in my life. And I I think that was what's, like, half full, bad game, cold. And I think MLS finally got smart and said, you know, that's dunk. And and, and we're going to have the team with the higher regular season record host the final. And you're guaranteed an atmosphere. The only question I have is I do think it's a little weird to have so many games in the playoffs, and then there's a week and a half between the league semifinals and the final?
0: Yeah, it should have been this past weekend. Yeah. There's no reason why not. It, it, it just should have been this past weekend. Um, especially because if you're a one-seeded team, not that it matters, but if you're a one-seeded team, which wasn't Seattle's case or Toronto, but if it was the case, you're waiting so long because you already got a, a bye and then you play and then you get another wait. I think it should have been this past weekend. It just would have been, the, the momentum and the continuation of the playoff schedule would have been better. But
2: So here we are. Let's talk about the game. Uh, third time in four years, but these aren't the exact same teams that played in those two previous finals. And your Peruvian friend, not your
0: friend, I was say, <laughs> com- I compatriot? wish he was is my it, friend. Is, is, is it compatriot? Is yeah, that the right Yeah. Compatriot. Yeah, yeah. Mi causa, mi causa. I, in Peru, we say oye causa. Causa is a type of dish there. And if you're a fellow Peruvian to somebody else, you say oye causa, and that's what he is to me. What if I said that to him? No, like yeah, 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 this week? Oh, he just lo- go like, what's wrong? <laughs> <man?"> <laughs> No, he'll love it. My he'll, Peruvian friend told me to yeah, say that yeah. to you. Raul. He would. He would appreciate it. No, La Pulga. They do call. We do call him La Pulga as well, which is obviously we know it's Messi's nickname, but not in Peru. La Pulga is Rudy, yes. Um Listen, any other, any other situation, and it's something that I've been talking a lot about. At home advantage in MLS is huge. Playoff situation, especially now, single elimination, even bigger. When you play against Toronto. I don't know. I think those odds kind of like drop a little bit. It certainly they, seems like Yeah, it. they're a team that doesn't care if it plays away from home, is experienced enough. Obviously, we know from the 2017 season, I mean, that was a home then, but in terms of getting to the final and understanding what it's like in terms of that pressure. So I'm going to reduce the, you know, in terms of home field advantage. But you mentioned Ru yes, and I think he is the difference here. Now, um, I'm not sure the latest on Josie Altador right now, even if he does. He play, couldn't even kick a ball last right. week. so, so that's my know. thing. So even if he did play or had some minutes, we're not seeing a 100% Josie Altador. I don't think, obviously, Toronto beating Atlanta was big because you did have to deal with a player like Joseph Martinez and PT and Ezequiel Barco. But that line behind Rudiaz and Nicolo Ledo, who just shines in the playoffs, might just be too much. I think that it'll be a a tight one. I think there will be goals. But I think in the end with Ruiz Diaz and Javen Jones, Jordan Morris and um Nicolodeiro, it's just too much, I think, for, for a Toronto team. But I, I don't I don't think that it's gonna be as easy to say, Oh, Seattle's gonna walk over because of home advantage. This is a Toronto team that knows how to win, knows how to play. And whether without Josie Altador it's already, you know, achieved, you know, uh, the best thing that he can do, which is reach MLS Cup.
2: With Altidore, this feels like covering Josie during the 2014 World Cup, where like he was hurt from the first game, but they always made it sound like he was just about to come back, and he was actually not even close to coming back. But they sort right. of like played the media forever, and uh, like there's a little bit of that here too. And I feel bad for Altidore because he's been injured a lot in his career for for big games, big tournaments. Uh, and here here they are again. Um, and yet his team has done quite well to get to this final. They've got a lot of guys who have been through the MLS playoffs before. Uh, Michael Bradley, who, by the way, according to our friends at The Athletic, gets an automatic $6.5 million contract extension for next year if they win MLS Cup.
0: Interesting.
2: So... I don't. I can't think of many other instances like that where, we, like, somebody has that much money on the line
0: in one game. No, I mean we've heard of a team in itself, and you know all the accolades and the, you know, contract extensions and bonuses that they'll get if they win. But a specific individual, and somebody like Bradley, um, which obviously he's done so much for Toronto FC, uh, is that's, that's intriguing. If I could win six point five million dollars
2: for winning one game, I would do all kinds of crazy stuff. To do like beyond the pale of like the ordinary rules. Oh, I right?
0: will, I will kill myself for that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, one one thousand. Like the kneecapping guys on the other <laughs> team. I mean,
2: six <laughs> and a half million dollars. Are you kidding uh, yeah. me?
0: Yeah, you just watch what Michael Bradley does in every defensive corner. I mean, I guess. like
2: the modern day Jeff Galuli probably doesn't cost six point <laughs> five million dollars. Just like have him like distance yourself.
0: We're not even talking about a striker here. <laughs> I mean, you know. This game ultimately is about the one thing, and that's scoring. But, you know, fair play to Bradley. I mean, but yes, I agree. He's going to do everything he can. But, I again, I you know, yes, I think Josie Altador, like you said, you know, it's a shame for him during his career. He's missed out in big situations because when he's healthy, my God, is he such a headache against the defenders. But we can't forget about Pozuelo because this is a this is a guy that can create a lot. So maintaining his creativity is going to be key for Seattle.
2: Yeah, I, I'm with you though. I, I like Seattle in this game. I, I think Nico Ludero in particular has been fantastic in the playoffs uh, and he just has such an impact on what they do and, and Rui Diaz is very reliable. Uh, I think he's going to give Toronto problems and You know, Jordan Morris is in the form of his life. So they have a number of guys who could be the difference in this game. So, uh, yeah, Seattle. Let's see what happens. All right. We'll see. This
1: episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com specialoffer special all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer.
2: Uh, in other news, let's go back to the European continent here. Niko Kovac is out at Bayern Munich after a 5-1 loss at Eintracht Frankfurt. Not a big surprise here. Um I interviewed for the podcast Uli Honas just a couple of eh, three or four weeks ago. Uh and he was a big Kovac guy. He was the reason that Kovac had stayed there as long as po- or as, as he had. Um but clearly uh Uli Honas, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge had enough uh, after the 5-1. Uh and it seems like the players have had enough as well. Uh, and I guess my only question is who do they go to from here? There's been a lot of talk about jose Mourinho and he's learning german but everyone who i sort of trust that reports on germany led by rafael honigstein uh, says that's unlikely uh much more likely ralph rangnick uh, eric Ten Hag from ajax that would be an interesting one though to potentially come in season wouldn't you think
0: yeah yeah i think um I'm with you on this. Um, I don't think it'll be a Jose Mourinho hire. I mean, it would. I mean, I want to, uh, you know, personally see Mourinho back in as a coach, but I don't think the Bundesliga and Bayern will be it. I think Bayern has two things they have to think about. One, or rather, one thing to think about, and two decisions. One, do you keep it domestic? Do you keep? Do you now appoint? A manager who understands the Bundesliga German culture. So obviously, Ralph Rangnick, uh, the right now the head of sport and development and uh, RB Leipzig, is he the one, um, or anybody else within the Bundesliga family, or do you go the other way, and do you pick an Arsene Wenger, somebody that, Ooh. some, you know, somebody that could maybe instill a completely new philosophy, who I think in many ways could fit a Bundesliga. Ooh. You know style, but I think it goes back to your major point, which is we're in November. This is in the summer. It's not a preseason. You're not creating something from scratch for the beginning of the campaign. You know you're right in the middle of it. You've got the Champions League. You're trying to defend the Bundesliga title. So I think that the obvious choice would be somebody to be that already understands, uh, you know, the German league, and that to me would be um, Rangnick.
2: Yeah, we'll see how long they go with uh, their interim as well. Um, yeah, because right. um, you know they might do that for a little while here. I mean, Bayern still got great players. You know, oh the yeah, Talent's not, not, the not lost. No, um, and yet Kovac. I was kind of surprised last year he wasn't fired during the season. Then they sort of rebounded, ended up winning the double. Um, but he never seemed to be a great fit for Bayern.
0: And here's my question to you. I mean, you mentioned the talent that Bayern Munich has. We know about it. It has, right now, in my opinion, the best number nine in the world. Does he have a lot of say in this? You know, if you want to keep me here, I need a caliber head coach that can help us not just win the Bundesliga, but the Champions League. And, you know, who is that going to be? So I, I don't, I'm not saying that, you know, he has a say in the matter, but I think they're thinking about things like that. To me, Robert Lewandowski and statistically, you know, is, if not, one of the the best number nine in the world. If you want to keep him happy, who are you hiring in the next time? And who's keeping these internationals happy? I, I don't know. Sometimes I think about that. I know that the superstardom sometimes can be too much of a, you know, this isn't the NBA, you know, where the decision right. making is not so much made by the individual. But I just, I look at this squad and sometimes I think who, they have to be very careful about who the next person that comes in is.
2: I do wonder, and I don't have the answers on this, how, like... I've always gotten the sense that it's the German stars inside Bayern that have a little more power in terms of the players. So, like, mm. Neuer came okay, uh, yeah, you know, Even even Thomas Müller, who's been a, a lightning rod because he's been benched this season by Kovac, and some discussion about whether that might have been one of the factors that led to Kovac being pushed out in the end. Like, Thomas Müller still has, a, I, I would assume, a lot of sway inside that locker. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But Neuer is a good point. I think he would be the number one voice, I think, in this this situation.
2: Um, Let's stay a little bit in the Bundesliga. And I just wanted to ask the question, whether it's the Bundesliga or La Liga in Spain, it's much more tight than we expected at the top of the standings at this time of the year. Now, that doesn't mean that Real Madrid and Barcelona are out of the picture. They're clearly in the picture. Doesn't mean that Bayern Munich's out of the picture. They're clearly in the picture. But there's just a, a, a ton of teams bunched up at the top. And and
0: why do you think this is the case and do you think it's gonna change? Let me specifically start with La Liga. Um, I you know, I cover it a little bit more than the than the Bundesliga. In my opinion uh, and it's something that Zinedine Zidane did say this weekend. I mean, on one side, you could have the joke and say, does anybody want to win this? I mean, you know. Barcelona lost Barcelona 3-1. Barcelona lost 3-1 to Levante. Sevilla and Atlético Madrid tied 1-0. And Real Madrid tied uh, 0-0 with Real Betis. Um, and right now, the table, we have Barcelona, Real Madrid, Real Sociedad on 22 points. Atlético Madrid on 21. Sevilla on 21. Granada on 6 on 20. And, you know, all the way to 13th, it's 17 points. So it's so tight. I think, to me, the Premier League is the most fun league in the world. Okay? It's the most entertaining, just personally. I think the best league in the world, technically, is La Liga. And I think that's uh, the proof of what we're seeing. I think it's much harder to win three points against mid-table to lower-table teams in Spain than it is anywhere else in Europe. And I think that's proof. Yes, I think Real Madrid is suffering right now. I think Atletico Madrid is not clicking as much as Simeone wants. I think Barcelona, the same thing too. But we literally had a clip on Planet Football TV last week saying it's Messi back to peak form. I mean, obviously, it's not all down to him. But this is indicative, I think, of La Liga, a league that is the best technically league in the world and the hardest to get 3 points against even against your 18, 19, 20th places.
2: I've seen a couple of people put out there they think that the Spanish league doing a better job in recent years of revenue sharing than at least they did than they did before yeah. might be causing some of this. It's hard to know for sure obviously. Um, in Germany, Mönchengladbachs having a terrific season. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and Marco Rose first year coach um you know has them playing very good soccer and winning and and so uh, I want to have a—maybe in a future week here, we should decide to just have a longer discussion about Gladbach because we haven't really addressed them too much. I kind of wanted to see if they were going to continue staying at the top of the
0: Bundesliga. I mean, an amazing record right now. Seven wins, one draw, two losses, 22 points leading. Um, it's, it's kind of amazing.
2: Yeah, but this is a good development, I think, to have two of the very biggest leagues in Europe uh, having a lot of teams near the top. And, and, and we'll see if it stays that way, but— It makes it more fun, I think, right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, basically, you know, we just talked about Southampton. You don't see that in La Liga. Right. Is my point.
2: Uh, While we're in Europe, uh, two more incidents of uh, racial abuse in Italy this weekend. One, uh, Roma versus Napoli. The other one, Verona versus
0: Brescia and Mario Balotelli. You want to fill people in on what happened here? Sure. Uh, the Roma Napoli game had to be again briefly suspended due to uh, discrimin- discriminatory slash anti, you know, or uh, for imperialist sort of chants that we've seen in the past, um, you know, when it comes to the South against the North of Italy. You saw this in the Maradona uh,
2: documentary where Napoli fans, wherever they go in Italy, have always often dealt with. Uh, really horrible things being said about them, chanted about them, just because of where they f- they're from. Yeah, and the Italian league treats this as a serious thing, as they should, and that's what they stopped the game for originally.
0: But you know, um, associated press photographers, uh, you know, could hear obviously racist chants t- towards kulibali you know, Napoli center back. Uh, so the game again had to be suspended. Edin Rama's Roma's captain, had to, you know. Calmed the team down once again, uh, which you know is a repeat of many things that we've seen in the past already. This is not the first time Koulibaly has been, you know, racially abused this season. Um, and then the second one was Mario Balotelli, where again, uh, Verona fans, or not all of them, but you know, uh, uh, <laughs> you could hear it big right. time. Uh, he he had enough. He grabbed the ball and he punted it, and he was ready to walk out. He was walking out until. Both teams, both players and both teams persuaded him to stay. Um, He did. uh, He scored a goal. uh, But then after the game, and, you know, you could just see on his social media post uh, talking about that disgust of what happened. And I believe there's an interview with uh, the head of uh, the Verona Ultra fans just basically Saying the most ridiculous, racist, disgusting xenophobic things I've I've heard. You could see it for yourself. Oh, and the coach of Verona. The coach saying, of Verona. Is, once th- they aren't
2: racist. This is uh, sarcasm. Like, so, couple things I will say. Um, being an ally, whether you're Mario Balotelli's teammate or opponent, does not mean to do what you did. Yeah. So, like, in that moment. If he wants to leave the field, you should walk off
0: the field with him. That was my thing. Everyone should have walked Everybody off the field with him. Everybody should have walked off with him. That's the whole point. It's solidarity showing enough is enough. Persuading him to stay in the pitch is not—I mean, I understand what they were trying to do, trying to console him, but the, the right answer should have been, no, let's all go. Listen, I'm not an expert in Italian. We have many good friends, Gab Marcotti and others, that really know this a lot specifically culturally, historically about the Italian game. I'm telling you right now, and it's not even just Italy, look at what happened to what the Bulgaria sanctions, right? right? There right. is a major, major problem in the game right now, and if we're just focusing on Italy itself, Serie A needs to seriously do more than just, you know, in match action. Cause it's not working. Whatever it is, I don't know if it's an overall suspension of matches, taking away points, but something way more drastic than just announcements right. needs to be done. Because when you just said it, the when managers and owners of clubs themselves are not even, you know, um, addressing this the right way, we have a major problem.
2: Yeah, I wrote a column about this in the most recent Sports Illustrated magazine. Uh, and got into fan behavior toward athletes is getting worse and worse. It's happening in the NBA. It's obviously happening in soccer, especially in Europe, especially in places like Italy, Bulgaria. Um, And one way to deal with this, there's different ways you can do it, right? So, like, FIFA has introduced this three-step protocol where the first time a referee senses this is happening, like a racial abuse situation uh, homophobic chants, things like that, discriminatory behavior, uh, blows the whistle, stops the game, announcement goes out over the PA saying stop or we'll, con- we'll advance the protocol. Second time, blow the whistle, take the teams off the field. Third time, abandon the game. And that's okay, fine. Problem is, is that FIFA instituted this three step protocol for world soccer and it hasn't been followed most of the time. And it's also not enough.
0: Nowhere near enough.
2: And so you have to isolate, find out who the fans are who are are doing this, and, and that can be done. Ban them. That can be done. Italian authorities, or whatever country authorities, points being taken away from teams where this happens. And then if they aren't doing enough... I have no problem with the Confederation, UEFA, or or FIFA coming in, and if they need to be the Federales, kind of like, not kind of like, but it's like, you know what MLB did during the World Series with the Astros when it was clear that their organization was not going to do the right thing when it came to this attack from Taubman on female journalists?
0: Yeah. Like, by Steph yeah,
2: The the amazing journalist at Sports Illustrated who wrote about this and made, made it public and then had the Astros issue this defamatory press release about her, which they then apologized for and retracted eventually. But it took Major League Baseball to actually do something, and Taubman ended up losing his job, as he should have. Point is, is that that's what UEFA... Because I don't even trust the Italian... FA oh, at no this way. point they're no. they're part of the problem, yeah. and I'll be honest with you, my friend. I have had points where I almost don't even want to talk about Italian soccer, as if like what happens on the field matters when yeah. this continues to happen. I, like I, I'm seriously like, is that is that over the
0: top? Is no, that I, I feel exactly the same way. You, you look, you go on my Twitter feed. I, I rarely talk. about I, it, I honestly, it's a very, it's a very troubling, conflicting thing because on one hand we need to report on the game, right? But when the game is the least important thing in this situation, it really is just detrimental. And to me, it's not over the top. I just something needs to be done in Serie A right now. I don't. We again, we have many more. We have friends and colleagues and people that we respect. Hugely, that can sh- probably chime in, but this needs to be. We talk about allies a, a lot. There needs to be a collective effort to try and eradicate this, because what's happening right now is not enough. It's not enough, and the problem with FIFA and UEFA right now. I mean, definitely from FIFA's perspective, is they've been already quoted by saying things we don't want to come in and be the social fighters. And well, they right. don't in China certainly, right? But, but this is this is a situation this is where this is this is you. Society within itself creates the makeup of the game. They're, they're, they're completely mixed together. And this is not a situation where you have to tiptoe around. This is a serious, serious issue. And the three-step system, like you said, is not necessarily working. I would immediately right now, what I would do is take away the second one. You do a it's warning, it again happens again. again, walk off. Just, just yeah. walk off, and there should be none of this. No, come on, keep playing. No, right. walk, and it should be a rule. You hear it again, it happens again. Is there, if there's a complaint from both sides or our player or etc walk off, and again, and the next thing should be points taken away. Just take away points, and you know, match suspensions. I'm sorry, but something needs to be done because it's just horrific to watch week in and week out, and it's not. We're not doing enough. The game's not doing enough.
2: Um, Let's get to our questions uh, from our listeners, not readers. Um, First one from Jonathan Newby, Baltimore, Maryland. Why won't certain FAs and FIFA lay down stricter punishments on clubs with racist supporters? We are basically just talking about this. And um, the Italian FA doesn't seem to have a a commitment to accountability. So then you would think UEFA would step in. Um, They haven't. You would think FIFA... might step in. I mean, this is just uh, it, it, like the the vibe you're getting from how they're reacting to this is that this isn't a very big problem to them.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, like Grant said, we've already been talking about it and it seems right now that it needs to go beyond the Italian FA for sure.
2: Next question, John Adams from San Diego. Any conclusions to be drawn from the U-17 USA team crashing out of the World Cup the way they did? Well... Uh, Pretty embarrassing performance. Um, losing 4-1 to Senegal in the opening game, 0-0 against Japan, and then 4-0 loss to the Netherlands, which hadn't been very good itself uh in the under-17 World Cup. The US is out. Uh Rafael Vicky, the manager, the Swiss manager of the team, may soon be out of a job, as he probably should be. Um, and you know, look, I, I have a couple of thoughts about the Under-17 World Cup. I think it's very easy to put too much stock in an Under-17 World Cup. I know American fans have done that before, and the U.S. has done well. I think U-20 World Cup's not much different, to be honest. Um, and put too much stock in when they don't do well. But this was a poor performance, and they have some decent players, you know, like Gio Reyna uh, on this team. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's really disappointing to see just the way they played. Uh, they were outclassed, and that goes on the coach, and you have to question the hiring process of the coach. And U.S. soccer's made such a big deal about demanding that coaches of the national teams move to Chicago, where U.S. soccer is based, just so they can be in the office every day with Ernie Stewart and, and the other people at, uh, on the soccer side you know what, I don't get it. I I, I think you're going to end up prioritizing way too much the coaches who are willing to do that than getting the right coach.
0: Yeah, I mean, the under-17 thing, I I'll be honest, I haven't seen much of it. I have seen the results, and obviously it's not great, but I'm with you. I don't think you should put too much stock in what comes out of it. I will say this, though, that the bigger argument is what you just said and my biggest criticism of us soccer as it always is you know you're not doing enough to really go out there and see the talent on all areas on all aspects from all backgrounds specifically and selfishly i'm going to talk about you know the you know the latino hispanic sure. community and i think that that's that that to me is a, is a, is another topic for another day but that to me if you want to improve you know how you know this country plays the game, just look at your backyard and see that there's a lot of communities that are still nowhere near represented.
2: And also, this is not a new development that Latinos are underrepresented in U.S. national teams, youth to senior, and it doesn't send a great message when you're hiring a Swiss dude to come over and coach your team if you're like, oh yeah, we're really going to care more about the latino community now
0: yeah i mean you know when you completely ignore a manager because they don't speak english you know there's already a problem waving before that but that's another thing but yeah
2: yep uh that's it for this week's podcast luis miguel it is always a pleasure thanks for joining
0: thank you have a great week guys